As mentioned in the most recent Behind the White Scarves, I wrote an essay back in 2019 and then went on to record it in audio format, to share and present it in the same way that Alex does in School of Movies. The original recording is lost, but the essay is worth saving, and worth resharing, especially now with an added epilogue. Enjoy. The following is dedicated to Alex and Sharon Shaw. To borrow Alex's own phrasing, their work and words have changed me, smacked me up sharply, shaken out my bad habits, and sent me back out in the world to do what I do, only better. Their influence was the impetus to create something more. I am 42 years old. To be clear, I am not saying that at time of writing it is my birthday. In fact, in a little over a month, I will have my next birthday and be officially 43 years old. But the reason I mention this is because of the personal synchronicity the number 42 has with what I'm about to talk about. As many geeks will know, along with anyone that has ever read Douglas Adams, 42 is the supposed answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. The significance here is that the answer itself is meaningless. In the book, when a bunch of people created a supercomputer that took 7.5 million years to calculate the answer to the ultimate question, no one gave any consideration to what the question actually was that they were trying to answer. I myself have always been searching for answers. That doesn't make me special in any regard, as that is often the goal of any thinking being. Some look for answers to how the physical world works. Some look for metaphysical, spiritual answers. Some look for answers to the great problems of humanity and society and politics, and many, many people are simply looking for the answer to basic questions of fulfillment, like, who am I? Or, what is my purpose? Or, how do I stay happy? And some people attach those very personal, self-centered questions to the larger questions about existence, meaning that they have now made it very complicated to ever actually finding satisfaction. After all, people have been searching for these answers since before recorded history, and people will continue to do so, very likely till our species no longer exists. That presumes, of course, that there is ever a single answer that will suffice for all situations. And based on what we've seen so far, there often isn't. When I was younger, I didn't understand this. As a child, I didn't even know enough to ask the questions I needed answers to. As a teenager, I started asking questions and was often either unsatisfied with the answers given or unable to implement them well. In my 20s, I actively hunted for the answers in books, and I asked it of therapists and my family, and of friends whose intelligence and judgment I valued. Above all else, I wanted to know, how do I stay a good person? I felt like I needed to know for sure how to do this, because surely, as long as I was a good person, people would see this about me, they would like me and respect me, and more importantly, I would be happy. 
It wasn't until my early thirties that I accepted how much I did not know, possibly could never know. The questions I wanted so desperately to find answers to didn't always have good answers, or comprehensive answers, or even any answers at all. More importantly, certain friends helped me realize that sometimes questions that I thought I had good answers to were in fact far more complicated than I had realized. Better answers had to be sought, new questions had to be asked, and eventually I had several profound realizations that radically shifted my entire way of thinking. I finally understood that you have to be willing to admit that you were wrong about something as new information is provided, and then adjust and reevaluate. And you had to do that without taking the fact that you were wrong personally. Being wrong about something shouldn't be a reflection of who you are. More important is how you choose to act when confronted with the fact that you made a mistake or misinterpreted the data you had. This is not to say that I don't continually struggle with this. It's not easy to reprogram your brain, especially when you are used to having a low self-esteem. Punishing myself because I was wrong about something is more familiar and therefore an easy trap to fall into. But practice helps, and even as I struggle with bad patterns learned in my youth, I continue to make progress on these things. I learn to be satisfied with answers that are good enough, instead of capital P perfect. More importantly, I came to understand that happiness doesn't require resolution, and that you have to find it where and when you can. Fast forward to the time of writing, and in the early morning hours after having seen episode 9, season 4 of The Good Place, also relevant, and supremely synchronistic, is that this episode is titled The Answer. The episode struck a chord in me that had me lost in my own thoughts all the way to work. And this essay is me trying to explain this moment to others so I can better understand it myself. For those of you that have not seen the TV show The Good Place, I find myself having to quote The Matrix. No one can be told what the good place is. You have to see it for yourself. And when I say that, this is not about trying to avoid spoilers. By design, I will have to spoil some of the details of this episode and the show in order to explain the reason I wrote this at all. If you have either not seen this TV show or this episode in specific, then consider this your warning right now to jump out when you can while the episode and the details that I highlight do not give away that much of the plot of the show, I know that people have different spoiler thresholds, so be forewarned. Okay, here we go. When we first meet the character of Chidi Anagonye, he is the primary foil and helper to one Eleanor Shellstrop, a self-admitted dirtbag from Arizona who finds herself dead and having accidentally gotten into the secular version of heaven because her life history was mixed up with someone else's. The premise of the first season is therefore Eleanor asking for Chi's help on learning how to become a better person in order to avoid being sent to hell. Her actions in life, while not beyond the pale, 
were still selfish and amoral enough that she doesn't qualify for heaven. Chidi would seem to be the perfect helper for this, since when he was alive he was a moral philosophy professor. He devoted his life to trying to figure out how to be the best possible version of himself, and therefore focused on learning as much as he could from all the great philosophers. He believed he could be happy by always doing the right thing on every occasion. Over the course of the show, we find out that while Chidi is equipped with more information than other people in regards to morality, having all of this information at his disposal often paralyzes him, and makes it hard, if not impossible, to help him decide on what the right thing is to do. Worse than that, as he takes in new information, it is often difficult to make any decision about anything, no matter how small and inconsequential. But it is not till this episode that we get a glimpse into his experience as a child that gives us the inciting incident for all of this. The flashback opens on an eight-year-old Chidi, waking up in his dark bedroom to hear his parents arguing with each other. This seems not to be an isolated incident, as his response after hearing this is to grab philosophy and sociology books from his bookshelf and start writing. That morning, he gives a presentation to his parents, where for a solid hour, he makes a case for why the two of them should not get a divorce. Shockingly, this presentation seems to work, as we see both in the immediate and long-term future, his parents stay together. This outcome is critical, as this becomes a baseline for all of Chidi's future behavior. In his mind, there is clearly an answer to every problem. As long as he figures out what the answer is, all will be well. In this episode, however, we are reminded that throughout his life, Chidi fails to find the answers he craves, almost all the time, and ends up unhappy any time he has to even make a decision, let alone fails to come up with the quote-unquote right answer. And it isn't until his experiences in the afterlife that he has come to several of the realizations that I mentioned above. More importantly, he comes to the final truth about that presentation he gave. He did not cause his parents to stay together. It may have pushed them in a direction to make personal realizations of their own, to get counseling, to make decisions that would result in the ongoing stabilization of their relationship. But it was not some kind of magical key that resolved everything all on its own. His experience as a child was simple, because he was a child. Or to put it more bluntly the way the show does, kids are idiots. I have never felt more seen than by this episode, because my own path was similar. What I did not mention at the beginning was that one of my own foundational memories was being five years old, sitting in my dark bedroom, and listening to my parents arguing. Because I was the subject matter of the argument, when they themselves decided to get a divorce months later, I associated myself as the reason why they broke up. And while I came to understand that the situation was far more complicated than that when I got older, the divorce itself had a profound impact on the decisions I made and the conclusions I came to from then onward. If I was a good person, 
then people would like me. They would trust me. And I would not cause myself or others emotional pain or cause dramatic disruption. Now, this informal essay is not about a personal revelation that the episode gave me. At the very beginning, I talked about how the conclusions that the show comes to had already been discovered and hard-fought for me in the weeks, months, and years leading up to today. Reminding myself that I am worthy of love and respect is a constant exercise, and at least part of me believes that I am these things. The episode is, however, a shockingly apropos reflection of my lived experience. I also have difficulty making decisions, though it does not paralyze me as much as it does cheating. I crave stability in my day-to-day more than anything, because spending brain power on what the right thing to do is is often stressful enough, whether it has a moral component or not. I do not frustrate my friends as much as Chidi does, to my knowledge, but there are many other ways that I identify with Chidi as well as the other components and lessons of the show. It's part of the reason I have found it as engaging as I have. I hope further analysis will give me more tools to work with, and that maybe my words will also be helpful to others. But above and beyond, I hope that The Answer is an episode that will help a lot of other people, young and old, with their struggles as well. Because there is no answer. Pachidi Anagonye is an answer. It's the questions that drive us. And that was the ending of my essay back in 2019. Since then, I've done a bunch more for Through the Wind Door and Beyond the Wind Door, in part inspired by some of Alex's own essays on personal experiences. In this essay, I still stand behind all of it. The one thing that I would add is that a little over two years ago, I found my own Eleanor Shellstrop. More of a goblin from Colorado than a dirtbag from Arizona, and to me, she will also always be the giant tigress that supports me and that I support in turn. I love you, Maureen. Thank you for being the answer to this troubled doge. Thank you for letting me be your answer.